Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hey everybody, welcome along. Part three of my chat with Greg Crick and there was so much to talk to. Well, two wasn't enough. We had to do three. And I think if you listened to the first two parts of my chat with Cricky, you'll understand how there's so much more left to talk about. Now on this one, part three, we cover off more of the impact of Bathurst 2014 and the illness that caused massive issues for Cricky's health. We talk about his fight back to go racing again and how concussions played their part and what brought an end to his on-track racing career. We talk about the Gary, Barry and Larry show and what he's doing these days with the team at Gary Rogers Motorsport and he answers the National Motor Racing Museum's Couch Racer questions where he tackles the questions that you, our listeners, have asked. So let's get back into the chat. We pick up on Cricky's return to the mountain in October 2014 at the wheel of his TCM Charger. It's one that ended with him back to his winning ways. One thing I've thought about too with and thinking back to Jason Richards, racing cars was the distraction for him being yep. a crook. So that you went back to Bathurst later that year to get back in the charge, and you said before how probably shouldn't have done that. But amazing what you, you, your mental focus can do when you find a target yep. of or an achievement or a goal or a destination, yep. zeroed in on it. I am driving that car yep. at that track on you know X date. Mm. Powerful. Yeah, really powerful. That cool. was part. That was part of of me getting better. Mm. Um, like after being told by the doctors that you, you know, three years you might be in care, you might have a lifespan of six. So they're basically thinking that your body's just going to shut down from yeah. here. Yeah, and I just rejected damage. it. I decided to totally reject it. It took me a week where I was just smashed, and I thought it's the end. And then I just decided to focus again. Here we are, charging on. Well, it was very interesting though. Like I, I know that I raced. I think maybe at Sandown and at Bathurst. I think I did two races. And yeah, I, I had that. You did, yeah. The the blokes basically lifted me out of the car. Like my old mates Johnny Walker and and Kev who've been just with to- me forever. Yeah, just toasted. Yeah. Yeah, but <clears throat> it's, it was part of the drive to actually get back and get going again. Mm. Yeah, and mm. and just to to move on and that you know. Like it was in my early days, the motor racing was my focus to make some money. Mm. Um, it was, and, and my family, your, your focus of going racing again gave me a goal to, to push mm. towards. Yeah. yeah. And whereabouts did the car dealerships and the business stuff wind down? Well, they told me I wouldn't be able to run the business and that, you know, I'd need to prepare. So they're double whacking you here. Yeah. You're not going car racing. Yeah. Your life's going to be no good and your yeah. business. So you're going, oh, great, triple threat. Thanks yeah. a lot. Thanks so a lot. I need to, my son came in and, and started to help. I had my daughter and son in in the business and they helped. But, you know, I knew that I needed to sell it. So I actually sold the business. Yeah, yeah. But you went back to Bathurst. Yeah. And you went back to the 12-hour. Didn't just go back to any old thing. Yeah, so you, I did, you ended yeah. up going and having a run in an Audi yep. with a Luffy. Luffy yep. was part of that yep. that lineup. Yeah. Um, so that was at the start of fifteen. 
And then later in 15, I think you won at Phillip Island, didn't you, with Chris Meese, the, the German Yeah, we went guy. well in Adelaide. So I was driving with Christopher and we won. No, we went well in Adelaide. I can't think where we finished. Won the, won the race at Phillip Island. Um, but I was struggling. Like mm. I, I couldn't remember from one week to the next when I got in that car. I couldn't remember where the pit lane limiter was, where the traction control was. Every time I got in it, I'd have to relearn what I was doing. Start all over again and yeah. go again. Yeah. Almost yeah. like a um, a reset yeah. of a race car yeah. every exactly. time to, to yeah. do it. The so, old computer doesn't didn't retain too much. That's, that that was the problem. Yeah. 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 But you guys won. Yeah. I mean, here you are saying that you couldn't remember where the buttons were and they have to recoach every round. Yeah. You won. I think, I, think Chris, I think Christopher Meese was the biggest reason for that. Well, yeah, but you mm. did your bit too. Yeah. You did your bit too. But the other thing, wasn't there a crash at Ipswich in the Charger as well around that That was time? the finish. Yeah, so it wasn't so, you know, that mm. was the thing that made you go. No, nah, it wasn't made me go. I um, Like there was Keith Kosalki, Jim Richards and myself going through, um, I don't know the number of the turn, but the end of the – End of the back straight. End of the back straight. Yep. And uh, um, the guy in the pacer. Tilly. Tilly from yep. Sydney went off in the braking area and came down the grass and hit us. And I had quite a severe impact, but I didn't think it was that bad. But when you looked at the in-car, I was actually slumped in the car again. So I was, I was sort of probably had – I was probably unconscious for a short Turned time. Turned lights out for yeah, a quick moment. Just yeah. a quick moment. Um, but that – I was Okay. The car was pretty wrecked, took it back to Norwalk to Paul Morris's joint and I was there the next day, pulled it apart to get it fixed and when I went to drive home that night, he was in the truck with me, my truck, I couldn't drive, couldn't pick up the apexes of the corners, you know, he said, what are you doing, dude, what's wrong with you? And I pulled over and had to get him to drive home mm. and then the next day I was even worse and uh, I flew to Melbourne and came straight to Dr Paul Noon in Melbourne who had been treating me for to try and... Since the Bathurst 12-hour thing? Yeah, or? since yeah, the 12-hour, yeah. yeah. That was part. I went to everything alternative that I could do because the medical profession told me there's nothing you can do. How you are is how you're going to be. So mm. I looked for everything and he treated me and, and uh, did a lot of brain exercises, eye exercises and all that sort of thing to refire my brain. Mm. And I've got to tell you, it made an enormous difference. Yeah. And uh, so I went straight back to him and... He did all the tests on me and said, you got severe concussion again. Yeah. And uh, he said, I've got to tell you that if you keep doing this, I'm not going to be able to bring you back out of it one day. Yeah. And do you want to stay like this for the yeah. rest of your life? So that day I quit. Mm. That was the day. It's a very real. Yeah. One thing to have a doctor tell you. Yeah. You were so before that, uh, yeah, yeah. But the race. They were, the doctors were actually right. Yeah. You know, what they told me was basically right, but my pigheadedness and my will to. Um, keep going, mm. got me back in a car, but then eventually I came to the realisation I couldn't do it. But you got to realise I was I was then probably um, 61 yeah. or 62. Yeah. Late 50s, early 60s. Yeah. Well, I was early 60s, I reckon. I was, I was trying to be nice to was get probably you. 50. I was trying to get you in the 50s. I was 58 when I did the 12-hour the in the Erebus car, but I was that fit then that I'd done six triathlons that year. Mm. Never been so fit in my life. Wow. And that's pretty funny because that's another reason why they reckon I was able to become so damaged because I was so fit. You can operate at a higher temperature over your normal temperature without becoming nauseous 
and uh, that's obviously what I did for that whole mm. stint. Mm. Mm. You said before about the concussions, big thing in sport. Like you know, we're big footy fans, and yep. some of the whacks that some of those blokes cop, and then you know, mm. years on that, that they have sort of effects. And you said like some motor racing ones. Was there one at Lakeside? I think in the Ericsson car. Yeah, that was a bad. That one. was a big wall yeah. banger. That probably because yeah. it wasn't on tally, and I think it was yeah. in practice or qualifying or something. Yeah, was that one of the ones that? Yeah, it broke. It broke something on the left front. I don't know the names of the corners there. I can't remember, but it was a big three quarter on crash into the Armco. Um, but I also I'd forgotten about that too. I ran a Porsche in about two thousand and three or something in Targa and actually hit a tree and my head came out the window and hit a tree oh. hard enough to crack my helmet oh. and I had two brain scans then at the hospital in Launceston and they when I had the brain scans in Hobart 10 years later they said when did you have the brain bleed and I said oh, where this, this is after the 12 hour thing. yep I said where and they showed me where and yeah. I said 2003 or 4 when I hit a tree in Targa Oh, and so that just had not been hadn't been picked, picked up. up along the way. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So I've got the I've got the um, I've got the scans to prove it. What concussions do to mm. you, and mm. what they do to your brain? Mm. You know, I had that much white damage around the around the outside of my brain. It was quite amazing. Mm. So had you not got sick, had that whole twelve hour thing not cooked you, could how much longer could you have kept? racing for because I mean the result the speed that day showed that at nearly 60 you were you know you would have been a bronze in demand for sure yeah well I always planned to race till I was 80 really yep yep and I physically still feel like I could today and I know that the older we get the better we were and Mm. sometimes you think that you can do things you can't but I think you can still race at a level like I mightn't be able to drive a GT car as quickly as I might have been able to once but I could still enjoy myself in in historics or touring car masters or something and have good fun but I always plan to race I still have a license I still have a drive to do some testing I drive my grandson's Hyundai which really scares me <laughs> but you know well, your grandson or the Hyundai no the Hyundai no no they that all jokes aside they are a fantastic training car um, but I would have kept racing for a long long time I think because I just love the sport and I love the people and I love the camaraderie historics would have probably been the the thing, or what do you reckon you would have? I don't done? know. I'd have found something to drive. Yeah. You know, like it's just you want to drive something. I've got a, I've got a, the first time in my life ever. I've got a nice road car, and I take that to the track every now and then and do a few laps in that, and wear the brake pads out and ten laps and all that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got? What do you drive? Uh, people will cane me for this, but I've got an Alfa Romeo Giulia Quadrifoglio. Oh. It's um. People say you're mad, you know. I hope you're in the RACT, which I am, but <laughs> they're a great driver's car. Motorsport's big part. We mm. And these days we see you around the, the ARG Speed Series. Yeah. Close connection with the guys at Gary Rogers Motorsport. You spent a couple of years with Jordan Cox in, in TCR. Mm. What connected you to the, the Gary thing? Because he's – the Rogers are big in Tassie. You're big yeah. in Tassie. Was it the Tassie nah. thing that kind of got you in there or how oh, did this all know. come to be? We, we, like I've known him forever, yeah. you know, from back when he was racing the Escort and we've always had a bit of a bit of banter and a bit of fun and and uh, there was a couple of times I was almost going to drive for him but it didn't quite happen in supercars. Like V8s, yeah. yeah. What, Bathurst and ba- stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he didn't pay enough, did he? No. Nah. 
Never would. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we, we, we became quite good friends and then he, he was one of the ones, like the people that you don't expect, like when I was in hospital, you'd never get any sympathy from Gary but I'd get a phone call every two days, how you going, Sonny? Yeah, oh, I'm not too good. Oh, well, get on with it. You'll be right. <laughs> that sounds like Gary. <laughs> yep. But you'd have that contact and the other one was Roland who, yep. who rang me daily and then actually made a lot of submissions and that to Motorsport Australia to do something about cockpit temperatures in cars and that, which they did. Yep. So anyway, Gary and I have had a connection for a long time and then I started going to a few races with them for a bit of fun with Gary and Barry to have some fun, which we did. Yep. had lots of fun. And a few jammos of a night before we went to bed. and <laughs> Some of uh, the problems of the world. And then I ended up, you know, doing a bit of work and then I sort of ran Jordan in the Alpha for a year and, and you know, and then had a couple of years with him on the Peugeot. Mm. Mm. And then I'd change. I, that's too hard for me now because it's too much work. And um, I ran James Golding at Simmons in the S5000, which I enjoyed because I just think he's a major talent and I'd loved working with him and watching how he works and how dedicated he is and how smart he is. And the results have been going on the board in, in the supercar, well, since he got back in one Hope he keeps last going. year and so far off to a good start this year yep. as well, which, yep. is, which is great to see. Yeah. Um, so what's your official – you don't have an official description, you're just the I just bloke say, who hangs around I'm a just a wanker. Yeah. <laughs> 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 They call me an engineer, but I can't spell engineer. It's pretty funny. It starts like, with I. Yeah, I N G. Yeah. No, it's just like I suppose I ran Jordan's car, and you you sort of do the setup and that. But I I do the setup from what I know from experience, not from looking at squiggly lines mm. and that sort of thing. So you need the young engineers to have their input in it as well. Yeah, because I don't understand any of that stuff. That's all right. Most yeah. people don't, even though yeah. they say they do. They yeah, say they do. I think they say they do. Right. And then there's another connection too, because your grandson's been doing some racing in yeah. the Hyundai Excels, and yeah. he's actually working here in Melbourne now, isn't yeah. he? At yeah. GRM. So yeah. there's you know another well, one he, going. I got him going doing. He'd never done go karts, and he uh, started off in um, in doing um, what do you call them? Carna cross. Oh yeah. In yeah, an yeah, old. Yeah. And motor carners in an old Hyundai standard Hyundai, and then we got a bought a little race car and got that going a bit better. And he actually won the championship in his first year in Tassie, and then last year I think he finished third. We had a few disasters last year, but the racing got better and better. The competitions got better, and it was actually very enjoyable to do. And then he did the JRM combine, and to see a kid that. You've been teaching to change gears in a Hyundai XL 18 months ago, driving an S5000. <laughs> it's a bit of a change. Oh, Granddad was shitting himself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he was just a slightly bit nervous to see all that. But he's he went good. He, he, he went did. Well. Yeah, he yeah. went well. And now he's working at GRM in the workshop and doing all sorts of things and uh, with plenty of discipline from the Rogers boys and keep him in line and see how he goes and he'll have a few drives this year. He's going to do a few Formula Ford rounds in Victoria hopefully and he's doing a bit of testing in in various cars at JRM so we'll see what happens. What do you call Gary? Dad. <laughs> he calls me Sonny. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's Gary, Barry and Larry. I think. Yeah. <laughs> mm. 
I tell you what we do have too, mate. It's the, our National Motor Racing Museum couch racer questions. Of course, the museum up at Mount Panorama has got an amazing array of race cars and motorbikes and mm. memorabilia. Uh, by the way, are you a memorabilia keeper? Like, are you a hoarder of suits and helmets and stuff or are you a throwawayer or somewhere in the middle to all that? No. Uh. I've got them laying in the shed. Someone was looking at that Sandown 500 trophy the other day trying to read what it was because oh, it's, it's so tarnished <laughs> you can't even read it. But I've got a few helmets and a few suits and stuff, yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. Mm. See, not a hoarder, no. but not a getter in no. it. Somewhere no. in the middle. That's yeah. that's all right, that's all right. So questions from our listeners yeah. and our Fiat Sleuth faithful who follow what we do. Yeah. The minute we put a call out to say who's going to be on an upcoming episode, bang, mm-hmm. goes off. Sometimes our guests have had a little sniff and a little bit of a read, and I think you have, by the sound of it. You've been I've been fed a, a few, bit of information about some of the questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's see if uh, that helps you here or if uh, the lies change in the stories, which is mm. probably more mm. to the point. Uh, Stuart Bath wants to know, what happened to the dog bone Honda that you drove in Targa? Is that still around? Oh, yeah, that was um, Ross Palmer's car, and it went back to Queensland and Ross turned it into a – Brabham Honda at oh, one stage it? and had the big guards oh. on it and a supercharged engine in it and it still exists and I think Ian Palmer's got it to this uh-huh. day. Because the other thing we didn't talk about earlier in the podcast was that you drove it at the Eastern Creek 12-hour with Jack. Yeah. Which I only just remembered to to drop that in. So this amazing story of your childhood, was he your childhood hero? Oh, yeah. Yeah, big He time. was the only one, like yeah. Jack Brabham, that was the Huge. name in Australian motorsport. He was the man. So this is a couple of years after you do the Targa mm. stuff and you guys drive it because the Bathurst 12-hour stopped yep. at Easter there and then ran for one year at Eastern Creek and you, guys, right. you guys drove that Honda. But it wasn't, it wasn't a dog bone Honda by then. Wasn't it sponsored by like a... Hungry um, Jacks. Hungry Jacks, yeah, that's right, and it was the, too. The and a was, salad company or something. Yeah, well, that was, was Ross, Ross bought that um, salad technology into Australia where they gas the bags of salad so that mm. they last longer and mm. they don't get squashed and that sort of thing. Fresh so, cuts. Fresh cuts that's and it. Hungry Jacks and the, across the windscreen it was Jack's back. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Love it, yeah. love it, love it. Uh, Ian Ferrier's question, who's the hardest racer that you had to compete against over the journey? They were all too hard for me. <laughs> I wasn't good enough. Oh, Come on, now. No, I, I don't know. Like, there's been some. Who was the fun? Who would you love to have it, get one up on? Well, I suppose in the later years in TCM, it was the goal was always to beat Bowie. And in that, that race at, at Bathurst, that last race I probably won in the, in the Charger, um, he passed me under brakes like, I'd stop 50 metres too early going into into Hell Corner and uh, then the same lap he locked up the right front down into the into the chase and blew the tyre, you know, and that was getting one up on him was good because <laughs> you don't get to beat JB too often. Yeah, his winning rate in TCM is oh, it's amazing. bullshit ridiculous. It's amazing. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Do you reckon he's going to still find a way to come back next year? He won't be able to leave it. He can't. You know, I'm he retiring can't. from full-time TCM. Yeah, but what does that mean? He does every one but one round next year? He'll turn up somewhere. He'll be somewhere. He'll be somewhere. Uh, Andrew Sluice wants to know, ask him about the Brabham MRD1. Yep. You've got a pretty cool car. Tell our listeners about it. Well, the first Melbourne Grand Prix uh, I was at, and once again, Jack was there because they had the BT19 there that he'd won his last world championship in, and they had a, a display of Brabham's there. 
and um, we're walking around looking at the cars and he said, see that car there? He said, that's the first car Ron and I ever built. And I looked at it and I thought, I wasn't sure what it was because it looked like a Formula 3 car. It was painted in the later model, green, had a different bigger wheels and that on. I think they'd probably turned it into a Formula 3 car. But that was the car that Gavin Yule, who was also from Perth where I grew up and from Simmons Plains, had bought in England and ran it in England at Goodwood and then bought it back here and won the Australian Formula Junior Championship in it. And that was the MRD FJ1 which retrospectively was called Brabham BT1, the first car that Jack and Ron ever built in England. And uh, when I retired, I went looking for it and I found it up at King Lake in a garage, up in a loft, a bloke had pulled it apart, ready to ready to um, restore it. And he restored it for me and I've still got the car to this day, which is the, the very first Brabham. And MRD was Motor Racing Developments that yep. was sort of the banner that they... Yeah, we're, still we're like, it was their company all the way through, mm. Motor Racing mm. Developments, but they um, quickly changed it from MRD when the French journalist explained to him that MERD is French in for French for SHIT. <laughs> <laughs> Which is true. I yeah. did French. Yeah, I, yeah. We, so we. I've still got, I'm the sort of custodian of that car, I suppose, and it sort of lives in the museum in the Motor Museum in Launceston most of the time. Has it been out for a, a run or? Not recently. Um, but I need to get it out and give yeah. it a run. It's Probably in the it's it. at Warmer's estate at the moment, sitting in the foyer there because they've just had the Longford Motorama. So, mm, mm. yeah, great car. That's a cool piece of. Oh, it, it is. It, I love the Crick Brabham story because it's a cracker. So that adds another element to it as well that we added to before. Yeah. Watched him as a kid, then got to do some stuff with him, competing, became friends, and you owned the first car yeah. that they built in the UK. That yeah. is. That is really cool, really cool. Chris Williams has got a good question here and I think you can answer this safely and you won't get in trouble. What's the race car that you hated driving the most? Or will you get in trouble? No, I won't get into trouble. What do you reckon? Mm, I don't know. I've never really hated any of them but I, that, that Stone Brothers Falcon, I didn't like that at all. mm, mm. That was that was probably like it's quite amazing, isn't it? Like that car, Marcus could do at that stage. Marcus could do, you know, two or three laps in it, and then it'd be gone because the back tyres would be gone. And uh, somehow they overcame that. And as soon as they overcame it, he just started winning mm, and winning lots. Yeah, yeah, did a bit of that, and, and still able to keep his style because it's very interesting what he does. Like he saves. He's going in 10 metres under brakes further, so he's he's on full throttle for 10 metres longer and then he, he overslows it in the corner. His mid-corner speed's probably not what a traditional driver would be, but then he's on the throttle 15 metres before. And driving it and out. And driving it out, so he's got more speed down the straight. Mm. And I think I think that's how Craig Lowndes drove as well when I watch how he drove. Yeah, yeah, totally. Mm. Gavin McGee, do you remember the backfiring mirages in New Zealand? <laughs> well, I, I sense there's a, a story of skullduggery here. Oh, well, you know, I don't know. A lot of people will remember in my of my vintage will remember Bob Tyndall and Bob was just a great bloke and a bit of a rat bag and we lost him about 25 years ago. Just a fantastic bloke and we, we were best friends and we all went to New Zealand together to, to race sports sedans. There was Keith Carling, Des Wall... Bill Adard, myself, Bob Tyndall, I think that's about it, five or six of us. 
and we went to Wigram to race and so it was a bit of an experience. They flew the flew our cars across on a on a jumbo on pallets and unloaded them and I never forget my car, I had my RX seven then. Um, was unloaded off the pallet onto a onto a tandem trailer and it was towed to the track behind a low light Morris Minor, which was a lot modern car in Christchurch <laughs> in those days. <laughs> Went to the track and it was it was sort of um, an airfield and they wheeled some Euclid tyres out and put them down and that was the that was the passenger uh, the spectator barriers and it was just awesome you know it was old just school. old school and awesome fun and the Kiwis like they always are are so so enthusiastic about their racing and just love what they're doing and uh, Trevor Crow was driving the Oldsmobile Starlet. Oh, I yeah. tried to start yeah, it with the yeah, Oldsmobile yeah. engine and he cleaned us all up well and good, including Bob, who probably had the best car of all of us at that stage. But anyway, that's just the racing. Um, we had an awesome lot of fun and that's when motor racing was fun and you're allowed to have fun. You know? <laughs> and we discovered that we had these Mitsubishi Mirage renter cars that had carburetors not injected and if you turned them off and pumped the accelerator and turned them back on going through a tunnel or something, I'd make a beaut explosion, you know, out of the exhaust. <laughs> <laughs> we were staying at Latimer Lodge, which was owned by some pretty famous Kiwis, the Knight family, who were big speedboat racers. And we were staying in Latimer Lodge, which was right in the centre of Christchurch. And one of the boys who shall rename nameless was out doing a couple of laps around the block doing some backfires. Next minute there were sirens everywhere and he was back in Latimer Lodge and I had my wife and my three-month-old son with me and and uh, next minute there were SWAT teams everywhere and the gates to Latimer Lodge was closed down and they had the SWAT teams out with these high-powered rifles and all the streets shut off because there was someone shooting at people down the street <laughs> and it was actually a Mitsubishi Mirage <laughs> that was shooting at people. So the whole of the centre of Christchurch was locked down. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, they've got to watch those mirages. You do. They are, yeah. They're dangerous. Yeah. I think this is a loaded question. Yeah. Mark McLaughlin, what's the best V8 Supercar you've driven? I've, or, the I've already car? said that yeah. and it was the 2000 wheel car yeah. by far and uh, he was the engine builder. I was so say, that's the, he's engine, loving, the engine was all right it was, too? Yeah, it was a good engine. All right. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. a bloody good engine builder and he's a bloody good driver too. How Definitely. many times did he come second in the gold star to Scafie? Three mm. times, I think, mm. didn't he? A couple, yeah. He's a bridesmaid, poor old shocker. Yeah. I'm just looking at a list of questions here. There's a couple we've covered. There's mm. a couple we haven't. Mm. Clifton Campbell asks, ask Cricky about the time he asked his stunt double to do an interview for him at Simmons Plains. <laughs> well, <laughs> we are Tasmanian. He's from Hobart and we didn't know one another till a few years ago when Charlie O'Brien said to me, come over and meet your brother. He was, Clifton was working for... for um, Charlie on the Utes and I'd never met Cliffy, Cliffy before and we're just a dead ringer of one another so we often suggest that someone's parents have been playing up. <laughs> <laughs> we're from different ends of the island but uh, I don't know, I can't remember it properly but apparently I left him to do an interview and nicked off and they didn't know the difference. <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it. Uh, Mick Blake would like to know where's the Charger? What ended up happening to it? Uh, Rod Salmon who raced in GTs bought the car and I don't think he's ever raced it but it just sits under his house. It's, but it's around. It's, it's around, it's still in away. one piece somewhere, yep. yeah. Yep, tucked away, tucked away. Uh, Daryl Weaver wants to know what happened to the Viper that you had. Or, or now we remember that there was two. Well, the first one is still in Australia, but the second one went back to America. Right. Mm. 
we can't go finding that one quickly no. anytime soon. No. There's a question here from Paul the Dude Morris. Oh, no. <laughs> You've grabbed the arms on the chair. You, oh, you're getting, oh, geez, you're going Got for a drink. a drink. Yeah, you better have a drink before this one. This one's come from Instagram. Uh, ask him about being Bear Grylls' helicopter pilot. When were you Bear Grylls' helicopter pilot? Because well, I know you are a pilot of helicopters. Yeah, well, according to Paul, I was Bear Grylls' helicopter pilot. Oh, right. Okay. In so Mackay. In What? Mm, in Mac- mm, Hang on. Yeah. Tell the story. What? So we flew in Paul's chopper up to Mackay when he was racing sprint cars to do a sprint car race, and I think he won. So he had what he called walking around money. There was four or five grand prize money, so we had to go and spend it in the pub. <laughs> so, so we went to the pub and having a few beers and a bit of fun, and there were a few locals hanging around, and they said, what are you blokes doing here? And Paul said, oh, look, I can't really say much about it. We're on a pretty secret sort of a mission. And they kept out, oh, look, I can tell you, your friends, I know you're not going to say anything, you know, we're here doing a, a big television story about about the stingrays with, with Bear Grylls and see that bloke over there, that's his helicopter pilot. And that was me. <laughs> so, so we had all these people gathered around he's told them this story about how we're going to, you know, find all these stingrays and do stories about the stingrays and Bear Grylls is here but he's not with us right now and so all the people were wanting to know where he was because they all watch Bear Grylls on TV. And we got to the airport the next morning when we were flying out and there were people there everywhere waiting to see if Bear Grylls was there. <laughs> Just a typical Paul Morris story. But his pilot was there though, so that was okay. Exactly, was yeah. okay. Love, yeah. love it. I'll tell you another one of Go yours. On. When uh, – th- uh, this is probably easy to tell, but um, Dale Earnhardt had his big crash, testing crash, and had really bad concussion and, you know – was a junior, we were talking junior, about junior, junior yeah, yeah, of course, and was out of racing, couldn't race. So Marcus was back here, no interest in racing, wouldn't talk to anyone about anything. So I seemed to be the PR conduit that got all the phone calls. Oh, do you reckon you could get Marcus to drive this? Would Marcus do this? And I'd say, I don't reckon because he, he changed his phone number and he just did not want to know about anything to do with motorsport. But thankfully he's changed that now and he's back into it flat out. And uh, and helping people and helping young people develop and that sort of thing, which is great. But he was had no interest. He was just worn out. He didn't want to know about it. So Paul rings me up and says, can you get me Marcus's number? He said, Paul uh, Dale Jr. wants to speak to him, wants him to come over and drive his car for him because he can't drive. And I said, oh, well, I don't know. I'll ask him, but it might. I'll have to find him. It might take me a couple of days. So um, I wanted to talk to Marcus before I... Gave him the number, you see. So I went and found Marcus and in the meantime, Paul had told Dale Earnhardt that uh, it would be a couple of days before I could get the number because Marcus was up at his lodge in the mountains and I'd have to walk up there in snowshoes to get the number because <laughs> there was no phone <laughs> service. So then I got a message from Dale Jr. thanking me for how much trouble I went to to get the phone number. <laughs> of course, it was all Paul Morris bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but... A great story, yeah. and he really appreciated it. Uh, another one from Instagram. I only got a couple to go. It's been a, a wonderful chat. Thank you so much for the time. We've got a couple to get through here. Another one from Instagram. Were there background dealings done when you loaned your Viper to John Bow at Winton in the Nations Cup? Because I think from memory, I can't remember why. The Ferrari blew up. The Ferrari blowing up, so you let him have the Viper for a Yeah, weekend. I did. Yeah, I hope you no, charged. No, nothing. What? No. You're a good bloke. It's a good deal. Oh, he's my Tasmanian cousin. 
No. <laughs> Look after it. No, there was no a, background dealings there. No, no, there was or? nothing. No, it no. was just the, they blew the Ferrari up. Uh, I think it was going to it stopped his chance of winning the championship. I think, and I I wasn't going to run there, so I just lent him the car. Oh, you're a good bloke. Didn't even send any. Oh no, jeez. I, I probably should write one out now. You, shouldn't you I? probably can. I Do mean, you reckon I get been, the money off him? It's only been twenty years. <laughs> <but> <laughs> <laughs> I don't like your chances. Just quietly, just quietly. Uh, one more from. Um, Connor, I can't read his full Instagram handle out because I'll be here all day. Always a big fan of Cricky. Wanted to know what happened. What happened to the alpha that was supposed to run at Bathurst in 85? Oh, yeah. I yeah. don't know about this. Oh, well, look, that's funny because I only saw that on something. I'd forgotten all about it. But um, I had a friend called Ray Dickinson from Sydney um, who I'd met in the 70s when his mate Rocky Pie. No, sorry, that's the wrong name. <sighs> was he had the Blues Union L34 that Jack and was it Jack and Sterling Moss mm. ran at Bathurst? Yeah, seventy six. Yep. Yeah. So they arrived down in Tassie to go and do a a um, touring car round in Tassie. Oh, so this and is after Jack's raced it. Yeah. Later on. One of the funniest things I've ever seen. It was when I was in my service station at Perth, and oh, I'm working away in the garage, and and my business partner Spide comes says. Mate, come and have a look at these dickheads out here. <laughs> so I've gone out the front and there was a Leyland Boxer truck with the L34 on the back, three blokes in the front of the truck, four in the Tirana on the back of the of a flat tray and they'd Peter Granger's BMW on a trailer behind that with two people in that and they'd come from Sydney like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I met all these guys, Ray Dickinson, Phil McDonnell and... Um, Oh, the, the name escapes me, the bloke. Barry Allen drove the L34, uh, yeah, right. Barry yeah. Allen. And I got to know all of them and we've been friends and I still talk to Dicko every week, you know, and this was a long, long time ago that I first met them. So Phil and, and Dicko saw me race a few times here and, and Phil said, oh, you should have a drive with us at Bathurst in the Alfetta. And I don't know what happened, but it never happened. I know I was entered in it. Oh, so your name's on an entry a, list that yeah, somewhere that's where Yeah, found. I was entered and I only saw it the other day. I, I remember it happening and we must have talked about it, but I don't know what happened. I've got no idea. It got on the list, but that's about as far yeah, as it got. Yeah, it's written down somewhere yeah, and yeah, yeah. never actually became no, a, never a, happened. Thing, a thing. Yeah. Tell you what has happened, a lot of really good stuff. It's been a – we've talked about so many things and there's probably stories and bits that we've left out or that we've there's forgotten. There's a lot you'd need to leave out, I yeah, reckon. Yeah, well – the lawyers will check it before we run this. So. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Bakruki, thank you for the, the chat, mate. Um, uh-uh. We've covered a fair bit of ground. It's uh, You're one of the, the really loved people in Australian motor racing and I think you should have never underestimated that a little bloke from Tassie could uh, go so well. You probably uh, have sold yourself a long way short over the journey, but national championships, cool cars, cool stories, and uh, just let, let's just hope and pray for one thing this year that Geelong do not win the flag again because you'll be insufferable for another 12 months. Again, no, thanks for the opportunity, Noon. It's been great. Thank you. Go the Hawks. No, no, no. <laughs> and that's part three of my chat with Greg Crick. A huge thank you to Cricky for sitting down to talk through his amazing motorsport journey. I learned so much about where he's been and what he's done. What a humble, understated bloke and what an amazing race driver he's been 
over the years as well. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And don't forget, Castrol Motorsport News Podcast every Tuesday with Andrew Van Leeuwen and Stefan Bartholomeus. The V8 Sleuth Podcast every Wednesday too. It's all part of your listening pleasure on the Motorsport Podcast Network. Thanks for tuning in. Keep the pod suggestions flying in. And I'll chat with you again next week. Thanks for tuning in. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out.